Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I am Cecily Link, and this week we're going to be reaching out to you for the fourth song from Kate Bush's sixth album, The Sensual World, called Reaching Out. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. this week is a friend of the show yes hi this is zoe again i was on last week's episode about the fog and i think that this is a really fitting fall i think this discussion that will come from this at least based on my notes that i've been taking Mm -hmm. which actually like i realized i have a lot of thoughts about this song that i didn't realize i had until last night um same here actually at the lyrics um i think it'll actually i'm really I'm happy I get to do both because this is building on and draws from a lot of things in the fog in an interesting way. Yeah, very much. And also kind of goes back a little bit to, you put this in one of the notes and we'll talk about it, that even goes back to an earlier song of hers that I yeah. forgot to mention in my part. Like, oh yeah, of course that one. It never, that, and that's the thing that came to me last night is, and I'll, this is kind of a spoiler alert for what we'll be talking about later, but literally until last night, I've, had, I've known this song for many, many years. I just always thought she says reaching out for more. 
I had no idea whatsoever she was saying reach me out for mama. It just never even occurred to me because it ah, sounds like more. It, it does. sounds like more to me. And not only does it sound like more, that's what makes sense in the context of the song. So literally until last night, I didn't know she was saying reaching out for mama. <laughs> I guess I lose my Kate Bush stand card. And um, despite a, someone recently calling me the mother of Kate Bush stands, which I was very flattered by. Mm-hmm. You are. So um, thank you. I, I yes, thank you. But, um, <laughs> but so that alone changed my analysis of the song. It was both completely because I have never had a lot of thoughts in this song. I have, I'll talk about this later, mixed feelings about it. But now mm-hmm. I have so much else to think about that relates specifically to an earlier song in her work. And of course, knew this was coming. Psychoanalytic theory. As I, the therapist is jumping out again. So, um, <laughs> so here we go. All right. So reaching out, it's track number four from the sensual world. Uh, as far as the production, we have drums from Charlie Morgan. Del Palmer is playing the bass. We have Patty playing the mandolin. And this is another song with strings, but this is actually a different group playing the strings, and they're arranged by uh, somebody else. Michael Nyman is the, was the string arranger, and the strings were played by the Balavescu String Quartet with Claire Connors and Justin Pearson. They're a performing group that have been around for uh, almost 40 years. And they played the strings that are heard very audibly on the song. I found it interesting in the production notes they didn't even mention. Oh, hey, by the way, piano, because there's also a piano in there. Starts with the piano. Bum, 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 bum. By one Catherine Mary Bush herself. Of course. Um, so that's the first of production. There's not a lot really going on production-wise. It begins with the piano, and of course, Kate. I mean, I don't even think Kate is doing a lot of overdubs of her voice on this one either. Like, it's very much no. about her just belting her face off against this string arrangement, which is Kate piano and strings. Yeah, yeah, which is just absolutely beautiful. And even the drums are not like really forceful until you get to the to the chorus otherwise uh on the verses it's just like nice little hi-hat or whatever um yeah not a lot really production wise on this song it's not very complex i mean she's Mm -hmm. got the usual people playing with her on there other than the string ranger apparently this is the only song that michael nyman has done for her and he definitely has some thoughts about having played on this song and uh his experience of working with her that uh, we'll, we can get to later. So, yeah, it's kind of what the production. And so as far as what it's about, I mean, I'm going to be honest, like like with you, Zoe, I have never really had a lot of thoughts on this song. The The first one that came to mind, and you mentioned this in your notes, and I I forgot to mention this in my notes as well, that this, the, the structure of this song, like compared with the fog that this came from, this is much more like... Verse, pre-chorus, chorus, mm-hmm. verse. Conventional, in other It's words. very conventional. And the way the melody works, I found, doesn't quite sound like stuff that she has, that Kate has done before. 
I read somebody said on a forum they compared that they said they they compared the song to something that Bette Midler would sing. And so I can, you, you're preempting my comment. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I can. And I can see that like the way that especially like the way that like the vocal is especially like, well, reaching for those high notes and how it's just like climbing and climbing. The first time I heard this song, I thought of the big diva ballads that I remember my parents mm-hmm. playing when I was a kid. Like I grew up on Celine Dion and Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston and all of them. And this is very much in that like big diva ballad vein. Yeah. I mean, even the way it's structured and how it's doesn't have a whole lot going on, but the words are still very much Kate, which I find exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's always been like my knee jerk reaction to this song has always, it's funny you mentioned Celine Dion. I just always refer to this as her Celine Dion song Mm -hmm. because, um, and we're moving more less to what the song's about rather more to personal talks. But we always jump all over the place. Oh, we do. Um, after <laughs> I, after this after this we can talk to. I feel like it's helpful to get her framework of what the song's about and then like how we interpret it. But yeah. um, for me, I've always been ambivalent about this song because it has moved me to like not the brink of tears, not like tears itself, but the brink. Like it's so powerful and so filled with emotion, and for a lot of those same reasons. I, as I said, have called it her Celine Dion song. It feels conventional. It feels out of place in her body of work in the sense of being a straightforward ballad when that's not what she does. Like, for example, I'm going to get my on my All the Love soapbox. For me, like, All the Love is the example of a Kate Bush ballad. It is so fucking weird, and yet it is a ballad, mm-hmm. and yet isn't what anyone would accept of a ballad. So it's basically a subversion of what it means to be a ballad. That to mm-hmm. me is Kate Bush. This to me is that Midler, Celine Dion. It's like that diva ballad moment that is just not something that at this point, if I'm listening, especially if I'm listening. So I listened to all her music chronologically when I first listened to it. So I guess that because of what I was going to say was if you're a fan of hers from 1978 and you're following her career as a little long and you get to this and you're like, why does this sound normal? You know, mm-hmm. like I, I guess if you're listening chronologically, it would be the same. It's like you get to this and you're like, especially coming off the fog, which is a very dense experimental song sonically. So you're like, why is this normal? The one part that to me is the Bushian part in terms of sonically is the, what I think again, I misheard that I always, Again, until last night, I couldn't find this in the lyrics anywhere, but I always thought the backing vocal was going, yearning, yearning, before the push and the pull. Mm -hmm. But nowhere I can find actually says she's saying that. If she is doing that, that's the part that feels Kate Bushy to me. Mm -hmm. If If it's just like, even if it's not saying a word, that part does feel more like a trademark of her work because she always has back her own voice doing background vocals that are doing some having some sort of dialogue with the main vocal um but otherwise it's a pretty standard ballad and i that's disappointing to me i'm not gonna lie and at the same time 
ballad move us as human beings and this song has often moved like it just is so with those swelling strings that make it a Celine Dion song also or make it so powerful like I fucking love I, um, I also I always love you, which I do, but you know, my heart will go on. Like I went to an outdoor screening of Titanic a few months ago. That's all I'm on. I'm like, ah, you know, like it's great. Like there's a reason that ballads are popular because they pull on your heartstrings and this does pull on your heartstrings. But for yeah. me, what I do think makes this song not just like when I, I've heard people be like, this is my favorite hate push song. And I'm like, then, I don't want to sound bitchy. I I'm, I always get so elitist when I'm talking at her, but whatever. I'm gonna be elitist. <laughs> Just it's like do when it. people say that, yeah. When people say it, I'm like, then are you? If this is your favorite hit, push, you're, it's okay for you to like it a lot. I enjoy it. It moves me very deeply. If this is your favorite Kate Bush song, how are you a Kate Bush fan? Because this song isn't really what she's about. You know, like it would be like kind of saying like, I don't know if. The opposite. Let's the opposite. Let's say Celine Dion randomly came out with a song that sounds like it was from the Dreaming, and I was like, "This is my favorite Celine Dion song." I'm Celine Dion. If I was like a Celine stan, and that was my favorite Celine song, it would be like, "Wait, then doesn't that mean I don't really appreciate what she's actually about?" I don't know. But for me, what does make this song special and feel like her is the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I like so the line that always sticks out is when she says, "See how the flower leans instinctively toward the light." Who the fuck writes that in a pop mm-hmm. song? You're not gonna get Whitney or Celine talking about a flower bending towards the light instinctively. So I think that to me is what's really beautiful is that she's talking about, like, yes, she's talking about the idea of wanting to feel connected and wanting love and all that, which people do conventionally sing about, but the way in which she sings it is not, is completely unconventional and yeah. very, it's very sensitive and attuned to detail. Like, so, like, exa- the beginning, that there was a piano, do, 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 that just sounds like the intro of any conventional American mm-hmm. Idol-type ballad, and I'm like, really? But the words that she is saying are more um are just more nuanced than in a traditional pop song and also more literary essentially like i'm yep. someone who likes something like like Flaubert, madame bovary or the book i'm rereading now which is my favorite henry james portrait of a lady as this as you can tell from the fact that i don't shut the fuck up and i'm really <laughs> verbose i like writing that is extremely detailed and like doesn't shut the fuck up and like and it's just filled with like describing what everything on the table looks like in detail. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what she does. Like she does describe things in that very specific way here that most pop, a, a typical pop writer would not. And so that I think is the redeeming quality of the song. Besides that, yeah, it's just powerful. And it makes you like, my heart swells when I listen to it because like the music like this is engineered to set off these triggers in our brain yep. that produce these emotions and it works especially when her voice is doing is as you said she's letting it rip and to me what really stands out is the the vacillation between the delicacy of mm-hmm. sorry and versus then just like the reaching out so it's really that that to me is really beautiful how as always she's using the tonal shifts in her voice to convey like this sense of meaning when she was, I think the um, 
the drive in her voice when she talks about reaching out in the chorus mirrors the intensity with which she wants to feel. like it's kind of the vocal equivalent of sending like an all cast text message of like we need to talk Hmm. oh absolutely yeah and you know you mentioning that you know with yeah with the big ballad and they're it's specifically engineered to trigger emotions oh totally especially like chord progressions like the way mm-hmm. that one chord will go from one to another they're there are certain ways that like you'll hear chords move and the way they sit with each other that will just trigger emotions right. in you and they do it on purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're totally right. Yeah. And I, and the thing with her is that she is normally not somebody who is crafting a song with that sort of agenda. Right. Um, she's like, like she's not like a, someone like a Max Martin producer who is like this, I'm putting in, the types of chord progressions that like produce serotonin in this particular way. But I think from when you read about, which will read out like what she has said the song is about and the way she's writing it, it's, she isn't coming with this cynical agenda of let me, let me make a tearjerker, you know, but it does evoke songs that are like that. So what does she say this song is about before we kind of interpret it? Well, there's, there's two major things. Like one of them, she's talking about the, um, the production and how that came about. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, she says here, this is from uh, What Katie Did Next from International Magazine, December 1989. She says, quote, that was really quick, really straightforward. A walk in the park did that one for me. I really needed one more song to kind of lift the album. I was a bit worried that it was all sort of darkened down. I'd been getting into walks at that time and just came back and sat at the piano and wrote it, words and all. I had this lovely conversation with someone around the time I was about to start writing it. They were talking about the star that exploded. I thought that was such fantastic imagery. The song was Mm. taking the whole idea of how we cling on to things that change. We're always trying not to let things change. I thought it was a lovely image of people reaching up for a star and the star explodes. Where's it gone? It seemed to sum it all up, really. That's kind of about how you can't hold on to anything because everything is always changing. And we all have such a terrible need to hold on to stuff and to keep it exactly how it is. Because this is nice and we don't want it to change. But sometimes even if things aren't nice, people don't want them to change. And things do. Just look at the natural balance of things. How if you reach out for something, chances are it will pull away. And when things reach out for you, the chances are you will pull away. You know everything ebbs and flows. (laughs) So I'm laughing because uh, that relates very much to something Cecily and I were I know. I was actually just thinking of that. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. That's not – I'm not doing references. I swear. Um, you know everything ebbs and flows, and you know the moon is full, and then it's gone. It's just the balance of things. And then after that, she goes into, Ooh. like, some of the production of it, um, which, yeah, when, when she talks about it that way, like, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and when she talks about it that way, it does feel more in line with, with her general mm-hmm. body of work because it's not like 
I'm reaching out and want to connect. It's about the futility of reaching out, which is exactly what the song All the Love is about, which is about, which is what All We Ever Look For is about. Um, yep. So this actually, which is, and it's a dark message. And she's saying we reach out from the star and yet it explodes, which I should add is one of my favorite moments in the song, because even the way she says reaching out for a star that explodes, it's almost like she's watching the star and her voice is carrying the wonder of watching it explode um, and the awe of that. So it's not just like this ballad, it's really talking about like as some British band that people haven't heard of once said, you can't always get what you want. To me, like not something that will come across in a standard ballad at all. No, and that's not what at makes all. it a Kate Bush. That's what makes it a Kate Bush song. I wish it sounded more like the message it conveys. Mm-hmm. But that's why you all need to listen to all the love again. I know. <laughs> I literally was just fighting about it. With <laughs> you were. Today, and randomly, out of nowhere, I'm not making this up. Fiona Apple's best friend and roommate Zelda Hallman literally got in my mentions this conversation. I didn't tag her. Nothing at all. So that is a thing. <laughs> I, I was like, okay, this is happening. Wow. So I literally just like, uh, tell Fiona that I say hi and she, I love her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, you, you definitely don't get like talking about this, this kind of this. Yeah. Like you were saying, it's dark. It's, mm-hmm. and, and yet there, there's a lot of truth in that, that mm-hmm. there it, it is true that, you know, I'm one of those people that my mom has this expression. She would, I don't know if anybody else knows this expression, but my mom would say it. She every would, old shock, every, is it every old shock. <laughs> actually, it's about potted plants. Um, okay. She would tell me that I was the type of child, and I'm still this way, where if I didn't, I didn't like things suddenly changing. Mom would have to let me know when, oh, wait, sorry, our plans for the day have changed. We have to go and do this. She would tell me, me you too. don't like having your potted plant moved. And mm. so for me, I, I'm very much something that like, yeah, I like things the way they are. I don't want things to change. I like, you know, being in my nice little safe spot. But then. Yeah. I wonder if we're also an Enneagram type six. That's my, we, we value our number one priority in life is feeling safe and secure. Mm-hmm. And I know that's, yeah, like I like having my routine, like that I get up at mm-hmm. whatever time in the morning and I always make sure I have my coffee set up to go before I wake up. So I wake up and I, ooh, I smell the coffee and I can just like, okay, sleepwalk to the coffee machine, pull me, ugh. you know, like I have my routine and my things that I do. And that it is true that like, I'm one of those people that I don't want things to change. And I do go like, oh, wait, you know, but I'm trying to like get this thing and it's not quite working or like, yeah. And also like the natural balance of things, you know, you're that things reaching out for you and you trying to reach out for things that don't quite work out or it just yeah. changes you're you're trying to just cling to something that is going to change because that's how things work i mean i got i think mm-hmm. of like i mean it's a kind of a different a different scale really but where i live i'm in a rural area and there are a lot of abandoned houses and just everything like you 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 want things to like to you you still have like in your mind like the memory of this beautiful house and when it looked new and 
you're clinging on to that memory, even though you look at that house now and it looks bombed out <laughs> because it's been abandoned for so long. But you're like you're you you have still in your head this memory that this just like you're clinging to, even though things have changed. There's now a tree growing up through that house because there's no roof. You know? What you're talking about is why this song fits well on this album is because this album is, like, she has described it as, like, a series of short stories, and it seems to be, like, each individual song seems to be about um, the idea of connection and relationships, um, whether that is, like, in love and anger and pretty much, I mean, all the songs essentially, um, like, so pretty much like, for example, even if it's, a, and a lot of it is about miscommunication and misconnections or connections formed in a way that isn't good. For example, like in Heads Rancing, it's like you're, you connect with someone and uh, they didn't mention that they are Hitler. So like, I think that's why this song kind of, works in on this album because this is the album about even though I think the dreaming is actually even more so about the like, connections missed than otherwise this yeah. album is more explicitly about it and I guess this is again where the American Idol Celine Dion thing comes in for me is that for her to be writing like on this album like as with both The Fog and Love and Anger this song is more about a concept rather than a story song and so what's interesting is that one of the things I really find interesting about the dreaming is that the, on the dreaming is pretty much the first time where her songs are more concept driven. So for example, leave it open is about the idea of what it means to open oneself up to stimuli and kind of have like open the doors of perception. Um, suspended in Gaza is about um, find a sign, find a source of connection with like spirituality or God. Um, the sat in your lap is about um is about the kind of futile and endless search for knowledge. And so the thing is, so yes, she has a history right now concept. I think why I prefer it so much on the dreaming is because those concepts that I just discussed are things that nobody ever writes pop songs about versus right. writing about relationships and connections in a conceptual sense is more common in pop music. And so that's why this album to me isn't as um, interesting, even though I do enjoy it, because like, even though she is like, she has written conceptually before when she wrote conceptually versus like story song, this is based on the ballad, Bob Lizzie Wan type of thing. It's been really complex and fascinating. This is oh, like, these are topics that people have written conceptually about before. I think what makes it different is that she's doing it in just a more, well, she's just a better writer. So it's just the writing yeah. is more interesting. So for example, like this, the line, aforementioned line about seeing how the flower reaches out instinctually to find the light or all, like pretty much all of the fog is just really well written. Like she's writing about like, if it were a typical pop song, something like The Fog would be more like, I don't want to be alone. It's scary to be alone and I need someone to hold me and make me feel safe. Yeah. Whereas she's talking about that through a metaphor of swimming. And so I think that that's what makes this still like acceptable for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. And what the most redeeming quality is. Though I do have to say, like, I'm not really super into Celine Dion's music. I can appreciate her music. I actually prefer her singing in French and there are some of her French songs are actually very poetic that if you yeah, like, I don't think if you like, trans I don't think traditional pop music isn't, I love pop music. Oh yeah. And, um, and her, 
her music in French tends to be much more poetic than in English, like using these like really kind of like if you look at translations of some of her songs, like um, one of her songs that was a huge hit in France was called Si Suffisait d'Aimer, which means if if it were enough to love or if love were enough. Um, There are some images in that song that you're like you're looking at the translation, you're like, we wouldn't quite say it that way in English, but that's an interesting metaphor. So I can, mm. I could see maybe in some of her French language works, which tend to be a little bit deeper than her, the stuff that she sings in English. Um, maybe seeing her sing this, like if, she, if it were in French, but definitely not in English. Like her, her English music is like specific, like usually just love, <laughs> lots of love mm. ballads. The power of love, literally. The power of love. Oh yeah. <laughs> Right. And I think, oh. like, for me, I guess why this just comes up for me as an issue is because in general, I prefer not just in music, but also books, like every, and, and film, too, things that are more about some sort of vivid image, rather than, like, that, and, like, in that imagery is what conveys the meaning. So, for example, something I just pulled up was, like, my second, my other trait musician besides Kate is Nico, and on, like, I'm thinking of how in the song Evening of Light, she said, like, just a, this her, well, English was her, like, literally like, seventh language, so she writes kind of as though, like, I don't really know how to describe her writing. It's just, it's pretty much mm-hmm. all poetry, and it's like, just she writes these images that wouldn't occur to anyone else. She's also on the drugs, so that might have contributed. Um, <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, like, like, she, like, but, like, not, like, Kate Stoner drugs. Like, she was a huge heroin addict, um, and, like, like in interviews, she responds like 10 minutes late to a question because she's literally not living in the present moment or in time. But mm-hmm. um, so she has a line where she's in Evening of Light, which is that where she says a dragonfly laying in the cold, the cold, dark snow. I sent to kiss your heart for me like that to me, like that's basically saying like anytime I try to communicate something I'm feeling, we are living in a way in a dead wasteland and it dies, you know, versus saying like, so there's a big difference between saying like a dragonfly laying in cold dark snow that I'd sent to you versus like I can never reach you. <laughs> mhm. So that just tends to be what I prefer period, which is what influences how I respond to this. Whereas like for people who prefer something that's more um straightforward, they'll be like, "Yeah, finally something I like from this the weird squeechy Wuthering Heights lady." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As far as, I mean, we were kind of like going into what it's about and kind of what we each think it's about. I mean, for me, most like most Kate songs, it's not about just one thing. (laughs) I guess it never Mm -hmm. is. Uh, I feel like there's kind of several things going on. I mean, even before I read the quotes from her, because I wanted to write down what I thought the song was about before I read hers, that the first thing that comes to mind, like she's discussing our human tendency to always want to reach out for something or someone to feel connected to it. You know, that endless, like, connections. Mm-hmm. Uh, see how the flower leans instinctively toward the light. See how the heart reaches out instinctively for no reason but to touch. Um, but then there's that other part of it that, which is that, yes, humans will reach out to anything, even just to try it. And mm-hmm. then when you do reach out, you realize mate, that it's not good, that you're going to get burned. I mean, literally, like, you know, see how the child reaches out instinctively to feel how fire will feel. <laughs> You're going to learn that, mm-hmm. you. I mean, once bitten twice or uh, like getting burned by something. Yeah. Uh, or that, you know, when you reach out to it, 
that you might lose the thing that you're reaching out for. It suddenly changes and you know, see how the man reaches out instinctively for what he cannot have. Because sometimes we do have like mm-hmm. our human tendency to want have these big lofty ambitions like, oh, yeah, you know, we're what we're lying in the gutter, but we're looking at the stars kind of thing. Like, mm. I've ne- Oh, that's um, a beautiful expression. I've never heard that. Oh, it's Oscar Wilde. Oh, that's why it's beautiful. That's why. I mean, the guy, the, the man knew a man was great with speaking. I mean, yeah. there's, we have our tenants sometimes like, well, we're like sitting poor or whatever. Or, you know, hey, we're all in quarantine and we're thinking, oh, but you know, after <laughs> this, been, I'm going to be going yeah. traveling. And you have these big lofty ambitions that may or may not actually happen or that you may not actually have the resources to do, especially right now. Like I'm thinking about, oh my God, I want to be like traveling around France or something right now, but I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everything we reach out for may not always be there for us. And whatever reaches out to us may make us pull away too. Like, I mean, sometimes with connections with people, like there are people that mm. we may really like <laughs> that, I know I'm trying not to reference that, but it's going that way. <laughs> like there might be yeah, people why? that, <laughs> you know, you're really into, but who don't feel the same way and vice versa. Uh, and that, you know, hence the pull and the push of it all. Like there's always like constantly like, yep. it, like, Going back and forth, and in the end, I mean, all we really want, all we really look for, is just to feel connected to something, even if it turns out to even not be good. Like, reach out for the hand, reaching out for the hand that smacked. Because you're not, you're like, wait, shoot, that's not what I was expecting. Like, you were expecting that when you reach I... out for someone, that they're going to hold your hand. You're saying that. And then instead, you're, you're getting hit. And then we go back to being right. like a child who want something they can't have. They're like, oh, they're reaching out for the toy that they really want. And then somebody goes, no, no, stop doing that. Or, you know, sometimes in the case of my cats, like my cat is playing with something. She's playing with a bottle. I'm like, what are you playing with? Oh, wait a minute. You can't be playing with that. Ah, and I, you know, like take it away from her. And she looks like, oh, what? But that was my toy, mm-hmm. mom. Um, so we, and then we go back to being like a child who wants something he can't have and crying for mama um, because mother figures are kind and gentle Mother stands for comfort and your mother's who you cry out for when you're a child and you're hurt. An interesting juxtaposition with the previous song that was all about the father and this one is like the mom. You're going, reaching out for mom. What the thing and I can't get it. Like, that's what that yeah. part kind of feels like. So it's very complex. I mean, I wish that it were a little bit different, like not quite as like we were kind of talking about, like I wish it weren't quite as conventionally set up the way it is. But uh-huh. I, I like that it's at least um, got different things going on, which Kate's songs usually do. And yeah, all that, that's like, bleh, hope all that made sense. <laughs> well, it speaks to another quote from her from 1989, where she said, you can't help but reach out and touch certain things, even if you think they might hurt. When children reach out to touch parents, it's a lottery as to whether they'll get a clip around the ears or a cuddle. So that's like the hand that smack lines, like you're mm-hmm. reaching out and it might hug you or it might smack you. I didn't realize she said smack forever. I have a dirty mind, so my, my mind went places, and I will not go there now. Because um, sometimes we reach out for the hand that smack because we want that smack, but I digress. Yes. Yeah, if, if you're into that. If, if you're into that, yeah. With no, no shade, no king shaming on this podcast. Oh, yeah, podcast. definitely. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's like what you're talking about makes a lot of sense. I agree with it, especially in terms of Shifting from the fog, which is a song about the father, shifting to from the mother. And as I said earlier, learning that she's saying reaching out for mama versus reaching out for more 
completely reinvented the way I see this song. And also in terms of the context of the album order. So, um, so in the fog, the father is actually, it's in, so on, as you know, from Hounds of, on Hounds of Love, she has the song Mother Stands for Comfort, which is kind of a ironic title because it's about, it's from the point of view of someone who is a murderer and their mother's protecting them. So mother stands for comfort. And yes, and yet on the fog, father stands for comfort. Father is the one who is making her feel safe enough to swim and be out in the world on her own. And historically throughout, I'm going to say, I guess I'm going to start dragging her. Here I go. Historically throughout her like career, she has talked in interviews more about like, I've been more influenced by male musicians. Mm -hmm. When I sit around the kick inside, she famously said that when I sit at the piano, I'm imagine like I'm a male musician. Um, and she calls this album her like most feminine album, whatever the fuck that means, because that's the, a nebu the idea of what it means to be fem have feminine energy is nebulous, in my opinion. Yeah. But, um, but it's interesting that not only here is she, she's not just reaching out for a hand to hold, but she's specifically reaching out for a parent figure when she's not feeling confident enough to move through the world on her own. And yet this time it's the mother. And yet there's, it's such a different connotation because so in society, like, especially, I guess, in the context of coming from somebody who has been very insistent on, I want to be one of the guys. She has, besides Tria Bogarko on this album, she hasn't, really, she's not, she hasn't worked with any women musicians, which mm -hmm. I'll be honest, like, that's, that's fair. That's true of a lot of my favorite women musicians, and, like, even ones who are pretty more explicitly feminist, like Joanna Newsom, haven't really worked with women. She um, had some, yeah. now, she had some ladies singing backup vocals for her on the tour of life. Yeah. But you know, you're right. She Kate hasn't worked with a lot of female musicians and I mean, I think some of that can be chalked up to the time period too. I yeah. mean, there just weren't a lot of women working in music. I mean, I think there there are more now. Mm -hmm. But also, and yet even we just now, like, my my friend Melissa, who runs the Joanna Newsom blog called Blessing All the Birds, we always just complain about we're like, why does she not work with women musicians? <laughs> like, yeah, it's funny. It's funny. It's really funny. Like, but it's I think for Kate. So as I said earlier, I, the idea to me personally, the idea of female energy is nebulous and bullshit. But whatever the fuck it means, she has it. I don't know what it means. It's just like kind of you know it when you feel it, and she definitely has it. And yet she is last episode I talked about the essay compulsory heterosexuality and lesbian existence by Adrian Rich in which Rich writes about the idea of be a woman who is identified with other women versus male identification aligning yourself with other men Kate very much despite this feminine energy whatever that means is a male identified woman she very much sees herself as one of the guys um, despite never being treated as one she seems to overlook the fact she hasn't really been treated as one very much yeah. um, and like her own sexualization in the media so it's in, so like I'm thinking about how in like just in culture, we talk about people relying on their mothers as a sign of weakness. Um, for example, if to emasculate someone, we'll say he's a mommy's boy. Yeah. And in this moment of vulnerability, the narrator, who I don't want to say is Kate because that's reductive, the narrator is reaching out to their mother, despite in the previous song the father being the one who's the source of safety and support. And then especially in the context of saying reaching out for the hand that smacked. So it makes me wonder, is the mother the one doling out this punishment? Which would fit into the theme in both her work and her interviews of male figures kind of being more valued than women. Like if we go back to Babushka, she has said numerous times that she kind of intends 
Babushka, like the woman, the husband to be actually a sympathetic figure in Babushka, even though he's not. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, she's acting ridiculous, but they're both equally at fault. So she has so explicitly sided with men in terms of the way she describes her work that I mean, like, it's just notable to me that when she's talking at the hand that smacks, it's in the context of reaching out for a mother. And like, and when it's like the hand that's comforting and gently releasing her into the water, it's the father's hand. And it makes me think about the ways in which she, as a musician, feels formed by men rather than women. Although she is at a point where she is leaning more into the Irish heritage, which is her mother's heritage. Um, so I'm not trying to psychoanalyze her, but that just does all come to mind very much. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's interesting because I'm like, how come the mothers, like, when you're deaf, like, because also there's that this desperation voice of reaching out for mama. So it's like reaching out for mama is like the last resort when you're super desperate. In a way, that's like how it comes across almost. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas it was just reaching out for more, which I thought it was. I thought she just wanted the idea of like just being so desperate. There, but either way, there's a desperation. Yeah. And the idea that like desperation is tied to wanting your mom is notable. I won't say problematic. I'll say it's notable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily problematic. I think that's a limited way to view art is always as problematic or not. I think it's more interesting, especially in the context of her always being like, well, actually. I associate myself more with men and in songs I'm writing from a male point of view and the man's usually the right one, etc. The more I think about it and have analyzed it, the more it reminds me of all we ever look for from Never Forever. I was mm-hmm. also a guest host on that episode. Indeed. So I encourage everyone to go find it. Although I will warn you, my fast talking is especially egregious there. That was one where oh. I was listening and I was like, oh, I was listening and I was like, oh my God, can I, sh- I hate myself for this. But the analysis is very good on it, just if you can stand the fast talking. But everybody, episode, like, everybody feels weird about their voice. Like, it took me ages to get used to, like, hearing my but voice. You, <laughs> but you also haven't gotten feedback from, like, many supervisors saying that you talk too fast. So, oh. I just, since I've gotten it in a work context so much, I'm very insecure about it. And, like, I remember listening to that one and cringing. But I am on that episode, and so that, you, I would recommend going back to that for more of like the full scope of the analysis, which I won't get into, but I literally ended up going and copying and pasting some of my notes from that, because mm-hmm. basically, this song, when she's talking about, she, here she's saying, see how the man, again, this is with the male identification, she's not saying, see how we reach instinctively for what we cannot have. She says, see how the man reaches out instinctively for what he cannot have. It's always, or even, what song was it where, oh, I was re-listening to the Get Out of My House episode recently, and she used, like, male pronouns to describe the narrator when that song is so about womanhood. So it's like, because she's just always defaulting to male pronouns and malehood as the default of what it means to be human, which is what, what my prior analysis is born from. But so... That so when she says about reaching out instinctively for what you can't have, um, so all we ever look for is is about how we yearn for anything, including harmful things, drugs, yep. religious cults, anything, just to fill our emptiness. It's about the universal human need to find a sense of fulfillment and completion, whether that's through relationships, through drugs, spirituality. Mm-hmm. But in the end, 
most people remain unfulfilled and feeling empty, no matter how hard they try to use outside sources for fulfillment. And so what's coming to mind for me with the reaching out for mama thing is that both this song, because um, the first lines of that song are just look what you're, just look what, I feel like you sing it to remember, just look what your father and your mother, it's talking about the family unit very explicitly. And so, and how family kind of like sets you up for failure by trying to make you like them. Just look at your father and you'll see how you took after him. Me, I'm just another like my brother's mother's So because this song is also talking about parent figures, it really, again, I'm, because as like a psychoanalytically oriented therapist, my mind just goes to that place of, so in, I talked about this more in the, um, in the All We Ever Look For episodes, so I'll give a brief synopsis, but basically there's this thing in what's called Lacanian psychoanalysis, which called the mirror stage, which is about when you're a baby, it's like Jacques Lacan, he, um, psychoanalyst, he has this theory that like your mother is holding you in front of the mirror and you see yourself as the infant with the mother as one singular unit. And basically, that is when you feel the most complete. Actually, we talked about in the Essential World episode, the idea of something called jouissance. Um, yep. And actually, Lacan writes that the, that I, the moment of feeling unison with the mother is the initial jouissance, um, the initial kind of ecstasy. And so we essentially spend the rest of our once, and then once we learn that we are not the image we see in, in the mirror of us ideal, like the mother is holding you up. You think you're like, oh, I'm a big kid. I can really, like, I'm so confident, but you're actually a fucking baby. <laughs> like, you're here reliant on the world for to fill all your needs. You can't fulfill any of your needs on your own. Uh, you're incompetent. And so when you realize that, that's when, like, all of your, like, drives and personality and, like, too much psychoanalytic stuff to get into starts developing. So, like, that's when we also start looking towards outside things to fulfill us. We're just desperate to get back to the sense of like what it felt like to think that we were competent and perfect and complete. Um, and so it's interesting now that like, she's calling out again for mama. If, if being that sense when you're actually like in unison with what Lacan calls the phallic mother, which is a lot to get into, I won't. Um, it's like when you're joined with the phallic mother in this, in this moment of Jewish songs, if that's like the ultimate fulfillment to reach out for mama again, is like, that's what you're reaching for. Mm-hmm. And like, it's here we are again. That was 1980 where it's almost 10 years later and we are still reaching out for mama. Like, yep. and, and yet one thing I'll give her credit for, I've been very vocal about the fact that I like her earlier work better than this album. And I actually, especially never forever. I think her, her best vocal work. So in there's a lot of never forever that always makes me laugh where she says, um, um, all we ever look for a great big hug. And, here, she says, her kind of parallel line, I think, is see how the heart reaches out instinctively for no reason but to touch. So I'm going to give her props. Even though I like her earlier work better, that is a much better way to write the same sentiment, which is about the idea that we need physical human contact and interaction in order to feel whole. A lot of the time which is oh my god could that be more relevant for this year i was just like, thinking this, like, yeah yeah like the, all this like when i was making notes for the song i was just like this is 
this hits too close to home for this year because like that line about we reach out instinctively for no reason but to touch like yeah. the human beings there's been studies that show like you don't need to be touched all the time but we do need a certain amount of touch and a lot of us are touch starved and it like I know when mm-hmm. I go too long without touch I my mentally starts to go like haywire so um, yeah that was yeah. me um, during the earlier parts of the pandemic I mean sure I mm-hmm. have my cats around but I kind of want humans. Like I almost cried when somebody actually did hug me. Yeah. Yeah. I went a solid. Yeah. But I, I, I didn't see anyone like literally had no human contact from all of March through May. And like, I saw my dad and I was like, Oh my gosh. Oh, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. it, and then it will probably be all by myself again this winter. And as we were discussing before recording, it's like, we almost yeah. will reach out <laughs> For anything, even if we don't want it, just to not feel alone and to feel fulfilled in some way. Yep. Especially now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, and I'm looking at your your notes here, too, about the backing pole. I never thought she was saying words there. I thought it sounded like just a yeah, little day, yeah, little day. Mm. Like, I've never I thought mean, that she was saying much of anything, but I wish it was something like yearning. <laughs> It sounds like it I, could be. I, I mean, you must. I always thought it was. Always. So I'm just like, well, that's a mishearing I wish was actually true. Because <laughs> it just actually fits the song perfectly. Yeah, it's, it's, and there's not even a lot of, either the chorus is not even, it's, I think, the longest part of the song. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whereas the verses yeah, are it just gets nice me. and short. It really gets me. There's like, I, I remember I was in a car over the summer and just like hit really hard. And I almost cried again. It was listening the other day on the subway. Just it hit like, it, like even it gets me, man. It does. <laughs> it, it gets me too. Like as corny as it is in terms of its construction, it, it gets me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and speaking of construction, I found this, this was an interesting quote about the, um, The production of the song, she said, uh, we did a really straightforward treatment on the track, did the piano to a click track, got Charlie Morgan, Elton John's drummer, to come in and do the drums, Dill did the bass, and Michael Nyman came in to do the strings. I told him it had to have a sense of uplifting, and I really like his stuff. The rawness of his strings. It's a bit like a fuzz box touch, quite punk. I find that very attractive. He wrote it very quickly. I was very pleased. (laughs) I'm just laughing because it's the least punk song of all time. Oh, seriously. (laughs) <laughs> like it's all her like the dreaming ha- can have some punk red out there or even like violin is more punk than yeah, this one like actually that one i feel like it's like her closest to actually doing punk right or, totally uh i thought this was i didn't find this until i actually until i was almost done with the notes this is actually um from uh michael nyman who did the strings on this, he says, my one experience of working with Kate Bush, a string sextet arrangement of reaching out on the Central World album, would I thought be pretty brief. I told the players, who I believe may have included Bill Hawks, that they would probably be out of the studio in 25 minutes or so, as the arrangement was quite simple and would be lost in a rich, rich texture that had already been recorded. Instead of which, Kate impressively used the whole three-hour session to micromanage the arrangement, the performance, the recording, and the mix with scrupulous detail, attention to detail than I have ever given to, to recording my own music. Mm-hmm. It's like, how dare she put thought into her own music? Yeah. How dare it not just take 15 minutes? Yeah, we 
you know, like she, yeah, she puts a lot of thought into things and that's part of what I love about her. Like, why is that a bad thing? Yeah, anyway. I mean, I've been in that place where I like, I'm going into something and I'm like, okay, I'll be done for two minutes. And then they're like, oh my God, why is this two hours? So I feel that, but like, you're fucking with Kate Bush, dude. Just be thankful. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they have this straightforward arrangement, but not really straightforward lyrics, which I really like, which I do like. And I guess, yeah, her her voice on this, I think, is the most, it's, it's really the most, like, let it rip, I think, that she really gets on this album, other than the, some of the stuff that she does on Rocket's Tale. Oh, oh so good. Um, so where... Good. Yeah, like that that one, oh oh my goodness. Like this one I feel that like That is her that's her number one like um that's her rock song. Like mm-hmm. that is her uh, that's her number one headbanger song. I don't think I'm on that episode, I just wanna say here that I love that song to death. It is one of her top <laughs> ten most underrated. It's perfect. Oh perfect. And it was There's written about a kitty like cat. It. Like, oh yeah, kitty cat. Um yeah. but the belting on this song, like there are there aren't a lot of songs on it on the central world or really that I think kind of red shoes forward that have a lot of like just crazy kind of belting. And she's like really belting her face off in this song in a way well, that she does do it more around this era and rock and not rock until, um, red shoes because like those songs are more conventionally rock. So for example, I'm thinking of even in like, um, um, and so is love with the whole and whatever happens what really oh, yeah. matters there, there is a lot more of like I would say conventional style rock building for sure mm-hmm. and it's not her typical like it's not the thing like like the moment in the infant kiss I'm obsessed with mm-hmm. but I and we've talked about how the the vocal the melody on the the chorus I love how it is just like climbing um that it really does feel like her voice really is reaching until like her voice just until her voice explodes on um on mama the reaching out to the star mm-hmm. oh yeah and all, i thought you were gonna say on the reaching out to the star that explodes to me it and that yeah like she re- and it, well, that mirrors what's happening and even the way she sings explodes that it sounds yeah. like that word is exploding in her mouth reach out for the star that explodes it's like boom yeah. boom boom and then I like that the verses are so delicate. See how the da 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 da. Vibrato. Like you have no idea that that reaching out for the hand that that is going to slam in there and just like holy shit, what the hell just happened? See how the child reaches out Oh, what he cannot tell. 
and I, I find it kind of sad that there aren't, there aren't a lot of moments like this kind of past the red shoes era that she doesn't, there aren't a lot of times where I feel like she really just lets it rip like this. Well, I also don't think she can as much as I don't think. Yeah. And, and I know, yeah, I don't think that she can, like she wasn't really recording on a regular basis for those 12 years. So, and I, I don't think that, yeah, that she can really do the, the, the insane belting anymore, but at least we have it on record that she can. Or could at one point. Mm-hmm. That's what I love so much about violin. The song is that to me, it's a record of like the extremities that a human voice is capable mm-hmm. of, and I'm really grateful that that was captured for posterity. Even more in the live version, because I love that the very end with the bio, and she goes above this, way yeah. above the staff on the. Oh, I love that part. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, as far as other personal thoughts, I've. Uh, in if I'm in the right mood, the song definitely moves me to tears. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it it's that chord progression, like it just that it just that, when they're climbing, you're like ah, they do this on purpose. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like the emotional manipulation is working. Yes, like no, damn it, I don't want to cry. <laughs> but it's uh, it it is a it's a beautiful song. I've I've kind of like you I've always been a little like a little bit ambivalent toward it but I find that I like the lyrics are much more complex than you think it is and I kind of wish the music sounded a little bit more complex as well but I'm glad that she has these these words I mean I I really love her words on this on this song especially <laughs> so um honestly I feel I th- like we're good I think we're good <laughs> I'm just kind of thinking like yeah I think we've uh, what else is there? I don't think that's my thought left. Mm. I mean, just discussing all the many live performances. But besides that, you know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. You know, the time she did this song live. Oh, what are we talking about? <laughs> it's Gage. You don't do that yeah. stuff. And no remixes. Exactly. There are no, there aren't even any cover versions. I didn't even find any cover versions of this song even. Yeah. Like, I found cover ver- cover versions for, you know, Houdini more than I find for this one, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think we pretty much covered it with this song. I think we yeah. reached out enough for, you know, luckily we didn't have anything exploded during the making of this episode, which is always good. <laughs> Nothing exploding, no destroying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. I think I think we got it, and if if anything else comes up, we will all, we can add an amendment. Of course, indeed. Well, thank you so much for being on the show this week. Yay! Yes, super fun. Happy to be here. Looking forward to some other stuff. Um, I'll give a little uh, preview to listeners that right after this, something Sussie and I are going to record that I'm thinking we should rec- <laughs> we should drop this Christmas weekend, right? Shouldn't we drop it like I think maybe we should. Christmas Eve, something? Oh, we're yeah, gonna, totally. So mm-hmm. Yeah, well, let me look at my calendar. It's, it's the 24th. Yeah, we should drop this. Um, we should drop this maybe at like Christmas Eve. Um, we're Good going idea. to be doing a episode on the Kate Bush 1979. You know it. You love it. A Christmas mm-hmm. special. So hey! we're going to be recording this next and releasing this very soon. So happy early. It's been a hard year. So you we, you just you go. You know, so Cecily and I will self-indulgently by enjoying <laughs> this with each other, give you guys a treat. Um, happy Christmas. Merry. Happy Christmas. Hope that you find the things that you're reaching out for even in all this darkness. 
Indeed. If we're, we're gonna and if not, you have a Christmas episode. episode. Exactly. You have a Christmas special episode to have fun with <laughs> coming up. Indeed. So that's our big reveal. And now for one last reveal as we close out today's show. This is a message from Poison Ivory, and they go by the name Love and Anger on Twitter. And they sent me this message about Reaching Out, which is one of their favorite Kate Bush songs. This is what they had to say about it. Reaching Out is one of my favorite Kate Bush songs purely for the vocals. Her vocal range in this song is amazing, especially the ending. The way she begins in a soft, angelic-like voice and bursts into this loud, extravagant sound. The last part of the song where she says, reaching out for mama, and stretches out the mama part really amazes me. And when I first heard it, and was the reason I fell in love with it right away, it gave me chills. The lyrics are also another key part as to why I adore this song. I very much can relate to it touching and reaching out to things using our instinct to get a feel of how they are or how they might react. They're very underrated lyrics to go with an extremely underrated and overlooked song. I also heard that she was going to make this into a single or considered it as a single. It would have been great in my opinion, but I'm curious as to how they would visualize such a song that would be hard without making it too literal. However, to conclude, I just wish this song would get a lot more love and significance as to being one of her best songs, not only vocally, but also lyrically. I love it. Thank you so much for reaching out this week and listening to this week's episode of Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. If you like what I'm doing with the show, you can follow me on Twitter at StrangeKateCast. You can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Kate Bush Podcast. And you can also email me, kbcast at linkmedia.com. As always, that is link with an E. And if you have a favorite Kate Bush song that you want to leave some thoughts on, you can call the hotline at one 349 6369 and your message could be played on a future episode. Well, I'm excited to keep going on into the sensual world. We're going to go into something completely different next week. Next week, we're getting to the last song on side one, and we're going to be going for a dance with someone who is very charming and who turns out to be not quite who we expect him to be. It is going to be next week, Heads We're Dancing. So that's going to be the song for next week. And we'll see everybody then. Thank you so much again for listening to the show this week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 